0: And uh, let's be seated. Once again, it's our great privilege to have uh, Brother Tom Neiman here. And uh, most of you know him and and know him very, very well. Uh, He's been a friend of this ministry and a helper for many, many years. And Brother, if you would uh, repeat just a little bit about your ministry and what you do exactly uh, for those that are not familiar with it. And uh, we will turn over the rest of the time to you. Thank you, Pastor. Well, before I do that, my wife is going to be very, very disappointed if I don't take a couple of pictures so here's what I'm going to do hopefully I'll do it okay there we go so I'm going to try to take this side first and then the folks in the back and then I'll send this to her this afternoon wait a minute here And I've got to get the IT man here. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, pastor asked <clears throat> that I would repeat briefly uh, what we are involved in as far as Northwest Baptist Assistance Ministry. Uh, I had been pastor at Galley Baptist Church in Kent, Washington for 20 some years. And uh, because of my antiquity, and I'd appreciate it if nobody would emphasize that too much, uh, that uh, I, I was getting asked to help out uh, various church situations. We actually had helped start uh, a number of churches. Uh, and uh, in that area, including the one down at Pialo, uh, we helped start uh, the church, the new church in, um, on the peninsula. Plus, there were a number of churches that uh, we found that were struggling. And uh, sometimes uh, they needed a pastor. Sometimes uh, the pastor himself needed some help and uh, some encouragement. And so we tried to come alongside and help the churches or the pastorate. We did not know at the time how how uh, critical and how strategic this ministry would become. I had a dear deacon. He was the uh, in fact he was the deacon all the time that I was pastor at that church. In a deacons' meeting he made the statement, he said, you know, pastor, it's important to start new churches. And we all agree with that. But he said, it's also important to save existing churches. And uh, the first time that I was able to do it was while I was still pastoring. The uh, church in Chameleon, Washington, had gone through some very difficult times. And uh, they were without a pastor, and uh, it was very divided. And uh, so as a result of our ministry, we were able to actually totally rewrite the constitution and uh, restart the church and that church is going on by the race of god today and doing very well and so uh i would bring the reports back to the pastors from uh, the deacons excuse me from time to time and uh i said you know man i i feel that god has really burdened my heart to help churches and pastors and churches that are going through difficult times and uh, by the grace of god We've been able to see over the years. We've been able not only to help pastors who are going through rough times, but help a number of churches. And I think the latest count is that we've got anywhere from six to eight, depending on 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 where they were in the process. But it's been a very it's been a very good ministry that um, God has used. The most recent, uh, the chairman of the deacons from the church in Wenatchee, we just helped them. And uh, after their pastor had resigned, I had to fill in the first Sunday of every month for six months, and then I arranged all of the speakers for the other uh, Sundays, and they never missed a Sunday. I did well. By the way, while I was doing that, I was also taking care of uh, the church issues and needs in the church in Cedar where we live because that pastor had suffered medical problems, and uh, so we had to fill in for them and and try to arrange all of the speakers on alternate Sundays as well. Uh, The pastor of the church in Piala that I helped start a young man, uh, he had some chest pains and all of a sudden he went in and the next thing he knew, he was having bypass surgery. And uh, so I had to help that church uh, for a time also. So it's has been a ministry <clears throat> that uh, God has used, and quite frankly, the prayers and support of churches like uh, uh, your church here has just been an immense help. By the grace of God, we have not had to um, rely on the uh, ministries for support sport for ourselves. Uh, we have been able to, because, just because of how God worked things out, uh, we've been able to live without it. They do pay, the ministry does pay for our insurance, and it does pay for expenses that we have, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we've been able to do quite well. And uh, so I felt an obligation to uh, come to uh, this church because you are, you you've been you such a blessing to us, and uh, I'm trying to cover a bunch of bases because of things that I may have coming up in my life in the future, so you're the first one. Uh, I will be at another church that supports us next Sunday, and then I'll be some other churches trying to get as many in as I can before uh, I may have some medical procedures coming up in the future, and we'll see how that all works out. So anyway, thank you so much for your friendship and support. We treasure it uh Rachel sends us these Christmas cards every year and they're on our refrigerator I see you every day all right so uh, you just know <laughs> and uh, my wife my wife uh, is so thrilled when she gets these every year at Christmas time or sometimes <coughs> they come a little bit after christmas but uh the passage that uh, Richard read this morning is such a joy because we have, a, we have a declaration that is unequivocal. Jesus Christ is God. We do not apologize for that. Not only that, and not only is Jesus Christ God, but Jesus Christ also became man. And when he became man, that has made all the difference. I saw a video via the internet not too long ago of a man who was a muslim and he said you know as a muslim i would die for my god but he said in christianity god died for me isn't that a blessing to realize what a what a joy, what a distinction there is there. so sometimes people feel that uh because i'm asked to bring a lot of prophecy messages uh in fact in um October of last year, I was asked to speak at the FBF conference in Kansas, which that conference covered Kansas, Nebraska, and uh, Missouri and Texas. And so it was all prophecy messages. And so uh, that that was a joy. But I brought the whole meeting to a close with this message, basically this message that I preached there. The question is, actually, who is Jesus Christ? Not only that, he's not just a figure who walked across the stage of history. I want you to understand something very precious. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Well, I'm going to use a lot of scripture, and forgive me if I don't ask you to turn to all of them, because there is so much that uh, we could do. But uh, I would like to just give you several main points. The first point that I want to emphasize, that even today... There is great tension concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Great tension concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you live in Christian America, that's one thing. But I've had the privilege of ministering. I've taught in uh, college for a month in uh, India. I've also taught in uh, Ghana and uh, Peru, uh, in the Philippines. And in those countries, (laughs) you have Hindus. You have Muslims. You have Buddhists, you have all of those other... Relations. I want to tell you, Jesus Christ is very, very special. And he is very special to us. And there is a tension concerning Jesus Christ. It's amazing how that uh, the, the Hindus and the Muslims don't get along too well in India, I'll tell you that. But uh, they all are agreed that they don't like Jesus Christ. There is tension concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that we live in a country where we can f- freely worship Jesus Christ? You can gather together... I thank you for being here today because it's a testimony that you believe Jesus Christ came to earth. He died and was buried and rose again. The fact that you're here is a public testimony. People seeing you come in here. That's great. What a joy it is. We have that privilege. But there is tension as far as the person of Jesus Christ. Well, we have to understand that the reason this is so pivotal is because we're actually talking about a battle going on between God and Satan. And so in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, Joseph was told, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's the equivalent of the Old Testament Joshua, the deliverer. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? What's so dis- what is so unique about this one? This child that was born. <coughs> now, in the Sunday school hour, I referenced the Edomites. <coughs> Many of you know that King Herod, who lived at that time was actually an Edomaeum. He was actually from that area. He was terrified when he heard that question, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? Because when he heard who is born the king of the Jews, (coughs) he realized that at any moment he could be displaced. He could not be needed. And he he zealously guarded his position. So there's tension. Do we understand that? That's very important that we understand the tension concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and of course... In uh, Luke, he also was told that uh, was also reported concerning him that thou shalt call his name Jesus. And we already mentioned Herod; uh, they were he was very concerned about the one who would be called the King of the Jews. Now, we think about that. We think about that child in Bethlehem. We don't see too much about his growing up years, except when he was twelve years old. We do see that little little picture, but we do know this: that his. Uh, His brothers uh, were not that impressed with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it was reported of them, he said, is not this the carpenter, Jesus, uh, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judah, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. His own family was offended at him. Now, I have an advantage. I have one sibling who never made any mistakes. I was the absolute opposite. I made all kinds of mistakes. In fact, I had five sisters and there was no doubt that I was a sinner. They guaranteed that as far as my parents were concerned, I was a sinner. They told everything that I did that they knew. I think they threw in a few things that I didn't do just so it was covered. So I knew I was a sinner, all right? Uh, So we have that all cleared away. But but Jesus Christ never, ever sinned. His family, his family did not really accept him initially. Now, during the ministry, and maybe, maybe it would be good for you to turn to John chapter 6. Beginning in John chapter 6, Tremendous, tremendous section in here. In John chapter 6, beginning with uh, verse 58. I'm sorry, 68, I'm sorry. John chapter 6, verse 68 said, "Um, Then Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So here is something that we know very early on, as far as the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter had heard enough. He said, Thou hast the words of eternal life. That's very significant when a person is giving you the words of eternal life. Amen. Who is Jesus? (coughs) Well, Peter could say, this is one who had the words of eternal life. So, I think that that is extremely Significant. Come with me, if you went to John chapter 7. (coughs) Beginning in verse 43, John chapter 7, we read this. Again, we're trying to see the tension concerning Christ and seeing the attitude that uh, they had concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 43, it says, And so there was a division among the people because of him. So the Lord Jesus Christ, who was he? Well, whoever he was Peter could make that wonderful declaration in the 6th chapter but we do know this that there is a vision concerning the person of Jesus Christ verse 44 and some of them would have taken him but no man laid hands on him then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees and said unto them why have ye not brought him the officers answered (coughs) again notice this wonderful wonderful statement as we think about who is Jesus The officers answered, Never man speak like this man. There are a lot of people that have a lot of things to say, but this man, what he said is the real thing. Amen? This is great. So we have more and more identifying factors and evidence concerning who is Jesus Christ. Verse 47, Then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Verse 48, Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? You understand why there was tension? They were terrified because of that. Come with me if you would to John chapter eight. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus Christ had been healing. He had been ministering. He had been preaching, and uh, my, his messages must have been very powerful because of the because of the response that it evoked. And so he had uh, he had healed. He had healed, and he had said, for example, in John chapter 8, verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's quite a statement. This is his statement that he is giving them. We're knowing more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ. They answered him and said, We be of Abraham's seed. We are the real thing. We're Jews. We're the Pharisees. We're the Sadducees. We're the scribes and so forth. We be Abraham's seed. We be Abraham's seed and never in bondage to any man. How sayest that? Ye shall be made free. Jesus answered them, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever commit sin is the servant of sin. So if you are the servant of sin, you are not free. They've got a problem. Notice, he said uh, in verse 32, if the truth shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. But now he is becoming more precise. Who is Jesus? In verse 36, it says, if the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. So, you need the truth, and the truth is very narrow, so if the Son shall make you free and the truth shall make you free, then the Son is the truth. Amen? I mean, that's certainly that, that's certainly like about. Verse 38, or verse 37. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me because of my word hath no place in you. Now, as a pastor, uh, I was telling Brother Jeff, Pastor Jeff, that uh, uh, I started ministering in 1964. There have been three times when I've had people threaten my life. One time, a lady came forward at the end of the service, and a, a lady from the church there in Wisconsin dealt with it. I thought everything was good. I had come to the church early, and somebody came in the door, and she came in, and she sat. She stood in front of my desk, and she said, Pastor, uh, I'm going to shoot you. And I said, why do you want to shoot me? She said, well, because I love you so much. I, boy, we got a problem here. And, and so uh, I, and she had one of these cloth pur- purses and she sat it down and I heard a clunk. I go, oh boy, this isn't good. But I, I was able to talk her out of it. Thankfully, uh, within a short time, she was getting medical treatment. And But, but, but that was what she threatened to do. Another time, uh, there was a woman that uh, had called me. I thought this woman was uh, an elderly lady. And in fact, she wasn't. And, uh, she, she wanted, uh, she wanted to, uh, cast some, uh, cast some evil spirits out. And, uh, so I told her, I said, any spirit that I, anything I have has to come from this book, the word of God. And she literally took that and just flipped it out of my hands and said, uh, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, <laughs> people aren't going to call me for counseling after you hear this, but, but uh, the police were called and I got called into court and everything else. And, uh, so, uh, the uh, her defense attorney uh, was really going to make mincemeat out of this uh, uh, redheaded fundamentalist pastor. And he started, he started really going after me and telling me uh, in, in so many words that I really wasn't qualified to uh, do what I was doing. And right in the middle of it, she started crying uncontrollably, and the judge stopped everything. He said, stop, what's going on? And she said, <laughs> and the defense attorney for her was standing and looking, what's going on? And she said, everything that the pastor says is, is true. And the judge said, Pastor, you're dismissed. So I got out of that. <laughs> we were, my wife and I were taking another lady, this was in, in Wisconsin, we were taking a lady, and all of a sudden, uh, she just started, she, she'd asked us to take her to a dentist in downtown Milwaukee, and she just started riveting and ratcheting out of the car, and all of a sudden she said, uh, you don't like me, you don't like me, she said to my wife, and she was trying to get out, it was the day when you had a bunch seat in the car, you know, and uh, she was trying to get out of the car. And uh, so I was just praying, oh God. My wife was quoting scripture. I was kind of, I was just praying like I'd never prayed before. We were going down the freeway. And uh, so she, finally she calmed down. And later on, she confessed to us after she got things squared away with God that she had been involved in demonic activity. And uh, so uh, God spared us. Uh, I can tell you that it's not a pleasant thing to have people say that uh, they want to kill you. Uh, Another time, I got a uh, letter in the mail. This was when I was pastoring in Florida. I got a letter in the mail, and it said, I want you to know I'm going to bomb the church when you're in it. And uh, so I called the police. I thought that was good. He said, well, he said, I'm not going to worry about this too much. If they send you a note, it means they're not going to do it. I wanted to tell the police, why don't you sit here? I'll go out there and get in your car, okay? But but, uh, anyway... Uh, God has. It's it's not a good thing when you know that you want to kill Th- these people. Wanted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that's the point. Uh, maybe Brother Cha Pastor Cha maybe I've had enough of them, so you don't have to have any of those experiences. All right, but uh, can, may, may I tell you that uh, the very fact that I am here today is a testimony to the goodness and greatness of God. Amen. That's that's it. So anyway, uh, they wanted to get rid of him. Uh, they were, they were so horrified by it. But I noticed what the Lord Jesus, what they said. Uh, Jesus said, I know you seek to kill me. Uh, I speak, verse 38, I speak that which I have seen of my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, uh, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, him, if ye were of Abraham, see, ye would do what the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Again, I want you to see we're talking about the tension here. Uh, They said, well, if you really want to crush somebody, you really want to humiliate somebody, here here you go. At least we be not born of fornication. Lord Jesus Christ really gave, he really straightened them out as far as that thing was concerned, didn't he? We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a few minutes. He said, You have a bigger problem than you know. You're of your father, the devil. So have we established it that there is clearly tension concerning the person of Jesus Christ from Scripture. Well, the next major point that I'd like to make here, not only is there tension concerning the person of Jesus Christ, but the one who is sent by God has to document the fact that he's been sent by God with irrefutable proof. Now, Paul gives us a little bit of an indication of some of this. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, um, the Jews require a what? The Jews require a sign, right? The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but the Jews require a sign. In Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, uh, they had to prove that these signs were coming from God. But, It also had to be not only that the signs were coming from God, but whatever was coming from God had to agree with the Word of God. Because there's coming a day, a man someday on the world scene that's going to be doing all kinds of miracles. We call him the Antichrist. He's going to do phenomenal miracles, but he doesn't agree with the Word of God. All right, He will not agree with the Word of God in contrast to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find in Deuteronomy 13, that, uh, that uh, a person who claims to have had dreams and do all kinds of wonders and things has to be something and someone who teaches what agrees with the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 18 does the same thing. It emphasizes the same thing. So my point here is, is that the one who God has sent has to document himself. It has to be irrefutable. And that's very important because if God has sent, don't let anybody try to talk you out of it. Aren't you glad that God has given us some very clear, wonderful things? You know, even after I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior, there are times, I'm sorry to tell you, I do things that are wrong. I am capable of doing things that are wrong. But I'm so glad for the fact that in John, First John, Chapter One, and Verse Nine, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I was pastoring in uh, the church in Wisconsin, I mentioned I had a lady come to me when she said, "Pastor, I just I have to tell you I have a real I have a past that's really really bad." She said, "I've confessed my sin to God a thousand times." I said, "Hold it." Were you sincere when you asked God to forgive your sins? You confess your sins. She said, "Oh, I mean it." She said, "I just... I said... She said, I feel so guilty because of that.'" I said, "You've confessed that sin nine hundred and ninety-nine times, too many times. If you confess a sin, praise God, it's gone." Yes. <laughs> you know, I told my wife before we were married, <laughs> when we were dating, I said, "Hun, I have to tell you, I have a weakness." She said. Oh, I can't believe it. I said, I do. I have a temper. After we got married, she said, I believe it. I have to confess it on a regular basis, Pastor. I'm sorry. I mean, it just, I have to work on it constantly. She told me that she had a couple of weaknesses, and I'm not going to tell you what they are, but uh, nonetheless, <laughs> aren't you glad for the fact that God gives us a promise based upon the Word of God? Anything that you've done. As a believer, you can know that it's gone forever. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. So Moses declared that there are some criteria very, very clear as to who could be called a prophet. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, did he do anything to prove that he was who he said he was? And the answer is yes. How about this? I just finished reading most of the book of Matthew in my own personal devotions. It's I, I wish I would have written down all of the times, all of the times it said, and he cast out the demons. He did this, he did that, he did But you know, what did he do? What were the proofs? Well, first of all, he caused the blind to see. That's pretty big. He caused the death to hear. He caused the blame to walk. So many people that were demon-possessed, he cast the demons out of them. We know in Matthew chapter 20, uh, that uh, 4,000 were fed. Another account tells us in John chapter 6 that 5,000 were fed. In Matthew chapter 20, after that particular event, uh, they were on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm was very tempestuous, and uh, suddenly, uh, Lord Jesus Christ was, was uh, able to calm the sea. That's pretty big proof. Amen? That's, that's big. Not only that, He could restore life. There was a young girl who died. It was a proven fact that she was dead. And he raised her to life. She had just recently died. In fact, it had not been long since she had died. In fact, there was the widow of Nain. And she was following the bier that carried the body of her son to the cemetery. And the Lord Jesus Christ raised him from the dead. That's proof, isn't it, that Jesus Christ is God. That's who he is. Who is Jesus? Well, he had teaching like no one else ever had. <coughs> he had one who said he could make them free. No one else could do that and guarantee that. He could cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the demon delivered, uh, the thousands of fed, and, and this girl raised from the dead, this boy, uh, the, the son of the widow of Nain, raised to life, and then he came to the tomb of the Lord Jesus, of, of Lazarus, the Lord Jesus came to the tomb of the Lord Jez, uh, of Lazarus, excuse me, and he had been dead for four days. Now, it's very interesting that that word four days is inserted in the scriptures, because at that time one of the prevailing inter, uh, uh, indications, according to Talmudic teaching, was is that the Jewish people believed that the soul hovered over the dead person for four days. So when he comes there after four days, I mean, this man is not just dead. Down south, they used to say, he's plum dead. All right? I mean, plum dead. And all he had to do was have him roll the stone away and say, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. Now, what I told you about the four days, we do not find in the sacred scripture We find that was the belief. But the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to just prove himself above and beyond. He proved himself. uh, Who is he? He proved that he could raise the one who had recently died. He could prove that he, he raised the one who was on the way to be buried. And now there's one who had been dead for 4 days and was already buried. Listen, I want you to know, it is only God who gives life, and there is no human being in this world who has a right to take that life. It is God that gives life. Amen. That's it. So, now we come we 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 we've sensed that there is tension concerning the person of Jesus Christ. And we've had documentation from Scripture, which is good enough for me, that He has done those things that have to be done if you truly are a prophet of God, if you truly are the man that God said. In fact, Deuteronomy said that there would come one just like Him. So everybody has to make this decision. I was talking to the pastor about this yesterday. Every single individual... Must make a decision as far as believing or not believing. This is very, very important. So the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribe wanted to eliminate him. Just for my own edification, I read the account of the crucifixion in all four Gospels this morning, so it would be fresh to me as I shared it with you again this morning. They did not know what to do with this man. They felt like they had to eliminate Jesus. He lived his life being accused of being fornication. We mentioned that he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was scorned, he was done all these things. Finally, finally, after his ministry, as it's coming to close, there are some things that start to happen that are very important to us. He was accused, even in John chapter 8, of doing what he did by the power of Satan. We know who is Jesus. He was one who was betrayed. We do know this, that he was arrested. We also know that he was forsaken. We also know, according to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 53, when the disciples were wanting to be so adamant about the fact That they would stand behind him. The Lord Jesus Christ said. You need to understand. My father. My father in heaven. Who is Jesus? (coughs) I am the one sent by my father in heaven. And my father could send. Could send. uh, Twelve legions of angels. Six thousand. To a legion. He could have sent. Seventy two thousand angels right there. And could have gotten rid of that whole. Bunch of the. Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, all of that crowd who hated him so much, as I read of that account in all the four Gospels. He could have done that. Now keep in mind, he could have done that from a human perspective, but he could not have done it as far as God's eternal plan for you and for me is concerned. So let's look at this. I want you to come with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 3, because I want you to see it from the scripture itself. There is something so beautiful and so wonderful. My heart just thrills and rejoices as I even think about this. There is a verse now that I have to share with you. Hold your place in Romans chapter 3. I'm sorry, I was in Acts, but uh, I want you to come also to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, but we're going to come back to Romans chapter 3 in just a moment. There is an amazing verse that just arrests my attention and grabs the very core of my soul. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the finisher, the one who completes our faith, who endured the cross. We'll stop right there for a second. The Lord Jesus Christ was arrested. We know that we know that as that arrest the subsequent to that arrest he was beaten he was scourged. <clears throat> we do know this that he was crowned with crown of thorns. We do know this that he had a trial that violated all of Roman jurisdiction. Just it, it violated everything. <clears throat> but the crowd the religious leaders were adamant that he had to be eliminated. And the way you take care of capital punishment, the way the Roman government did, they wanted to make any violation of Roman laws so public that no one else would dare to think of breaking their law. So they wanted to, they would beat him and they would scourge him. And he would just, Isaiah said, he was beaten so badly you could not even re- recognize him as a man any longer. He was torn. He was ripped. He was done all of these things. And then he was nailed to the cross. I've been there to Israel several times. And they show the hill where they feel that he was probably crucified. They did it in a very public road that actually came from Damascus. So that all the travelers would see, this is what the Roman government does to anybody that breaks Roman law. And so there was that time when they nailed him to the cross. And they raised that cross and with a thud, those nails that pierced his hand and the nails that pierced his feet had to have torn and ripped and given such horrible, horrible effects as far as pain is concerned. But watch this now. <clears throat> Come back to Romans chapter 12. I want to continue this verse looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of faith, who for the joy, get a hold of that. I mean, you're hanging on the cross, hanging on the cross. And while you're hanging on the cross, it says, and for the joy that was set before him, the joy that was set before him on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, who for the joy that was set before him, all of that pain, all of that suffering, all of that agony, all of that thing, the joy that was set before him, Everything that he's going for, he counted it as nothing. He despised it. What was the joy? What was that all about? Well, come back to Romans chapter 3. In verse 21 we read, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law of the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe. Now, this is not just some empty saying. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the one you need to believe in. That's who he is. But who is Jesus, this one, who for the joy that was set before him? I'm going to take the liberty to skip ahead a few verses and then we'll come back a little bit. Because we find here, it says, being justified freely by his grace, that gift. Being justified freely. In other words, I don't have to do anything to earn Salvation. I don't have to do anything to be justified. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption. Now you may not know this, but you need to know this. And I delight in knowing this. Before I trusted Christ as my personal Savior when I was 16 years old, I battled with the fact, why was it that I could do things that were wrong so easily? I mean, it was easy for me to do things wrong. It was hard for me to do things that were right. I could do things that were wrong very easily. Someone or something controlled me outside of myself. Now, later on, I realized that I either belonged to God or I belonged to the devil. Later on, I realized that, but I'm so glad because of that cross experience. Jesus took me from the place where I was—I rede- was a child of the devil—and He redeemed me. He brought me back. But there's another word here that's just wonderful, in this same section of Scripture, "Whom God has set for." How I mean, what is the price for this redemption? How much did He have to pay in order? to have this redemption. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Now, that word is used three other times, or two other times, in addition to this, in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9 gives us another one. And it cross-references us to uh, the Old Testament. And there, the word propitiation is used for what happened when the high priest came in And uh, he offered the sacrifice for the people. It was a holy time. That high priest had to be sure that absolutely everything was cleansed from him. So he comes into the Holy of Holies. And there is the Ark of the Covenant. I'm not going to talk about all the other things that were in the Ark of the Covenant. But one of the things that was in the Ark of the Covenant is the law and the Ten Commandments. And I'm thankful to tell you that I never, I never killed anyone. Uh, I've not been involved in other things. But the Lord Jesus Christ said in the New Testament, He said, if you've even thought those things, you're guilty. You're guilty. I never killed anyone, but there were times when I could say, I hated people. There were times when I could say, I was angry with people. That high priest came in, and there was the angel on the one side, and then there was the angel on the other side, and he came in, and there was that law. That law condemned them, and then he could take and sprinkle the blood not on the Ark of the Covenant but above the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And I'm convinced that what happened is the fire of God came down and consumed that offering and the people knew that the atonement has been made but because of the Lord, as sacrifice of Jesus Christ we have the propitiation Now the Lord Jesus Christ paid then, and the word propitiation has the idea that God is satisfied. So all of my sins could be taken care of because of the propitiation of Jesus Christ. Not only that, now we get back to this idea of justification. You know, pastor, down through the corridors of the century, see, God saw you. And it was a joy to Jesus Christ. God saw me. And if you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God saw you and you and you and you and you and you. And the Father in heaven said, It is finished! You're redeemed. But there's something else that's going on here. The word justification has the idea of righteousness. Because of that, the righteousness of Jesus Christ becomes mine. I am not saved because I joined a church. I'm not right with God because I've joined a church. I'm not right with God because I've been baptized or anything else. I am right because I place my faith in Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is so infinitely righteous. He can apply his righteousness to you and to you. And to you, and to you, and to the whole world, down through the centuries, down through the corridors of centuries, he saw it. And as he hung on the cross, it was a joy. But Lord, don't you realize you're, they're tearing you up? They're mutilating you. They don't the things. It's as though he said, in order to save brother say it's nothing. In order to save you folks, It's nothing. And you, when you see Jesus Christ, your Savior, aren't you glad that you can say, my sins are gone, gone, gone. It's all gone forever, praise God. And brother, I needed that. Aren't you glad for the fact that our infinitely righteous one, even Jesus Christ, his righteousness will never, ever, can never, ever be diminished. And that righteousness is ours. So, the joy that was set before him. Brother Richard, I have to tell a little story. I've told this story all over the country. Now I tell you, okay. One time we were out the Emersons and you were there and your wife. And Sorry, Everett, but you were just a little baby, all right. And your daddy was holding you He was holding you and Danny and I were talking and your dad didn't pay any attention to what all the important things that Danny and I were talking about. He didn't pay any attention to what we, he was just delighting in his son. He adored his son. And at that moment I thought, I have a heavenly father who adores me. I mean, who's Jesus? He made it all possible. Come with me, if you would, to Jude. I think you can see, you can start to get into some pretty deep water when you start seeing the wonder of our salvation and the joy that was set before him. But in Jude... We don't know what the future may hold, but we do know this, unto him who is able to keep you from falling. I need that. I can't do it on my own. What I can't do, God can do. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Get a hold of this. I can tell you, I'm sure there are things that somebody saw or can remember some things that Tom Neiman did even this last week. But when I am presented by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Father, the Father who loves me, this is my beloved Son. We trust Him as our Savior. We are in Christ. Amen. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling. That's what the Scripture says and to present you, what's that next word? Faultless. I, I grew up, as I said, in a family with quite a few sisters. And they could tell you, even to this day, my faults. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, oh, by the way, it's getting much better as time goes on. But anyway, because of what Jesus Christ has done He is going to present me to the Father I, I, Early in my salvation I thought well if I get to heaven that's going to be good enough but it's going to be better than that who for the joy that was set before Him He's going to present you faultless and it says oh when you leave this body whether it's by rapture or by death the Lord Jesus Christ is going to present you to the Father, and notice what it says here. He's going to present you followers before the presence of His glory, going with the Father, and He's going to do it with what? Exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. Listen, that's what was happening back there, Calvary. Who is Jesus? Ultimately, if we've received him as our personal Savior, we're going to be presented before the Father. And he's going to say, Father, isn't she precious? Oh, Father. Father, isn't he wonderful? There were times when he had his adults and he had his, his father he's here he's ours you love him oh father I present him I present you I present her to you and I'm going to do it with exceeding joy I love the hymn which is kind of an invitation hymn and it's almost A prayer. I should say it is a prayer. I hope you know it well enough to sing the first verse with me. Please don't let me sing a soul, okay? But if we really get a hold of this, we can say, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou mine. Could you sing it together with me? (laughs) My Jesus, I love thee. For Thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art Thou. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus, tis now. Pastor.